You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, Village Church. It's nice to see you again so soon. For those who don't know, my name is Luke, and for the last eight and a half years, my family and I have been near goers in Berlin, Germany. And uh, yeah, thank you. You should come visit. It's a lot of fun. Um, no, we work there among the 190 plus people groups in Berlin, uh, making disciples and starting simple churches. And um, a lot of those groups are unreached, so we'd appreciate your prayers for them in particular. But what we do is a family affair, and you're our family. And we can't do it without you. So I'm here uh, raising a little bit of support, and I'd love to talk to you after the service in the lobby and tell you how you can get involved and how you can uh, help us in the work God's called us to. Because really, you're a part of it. You already are. And thank you. Our scripture today comes from Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, Village Church, Josh Patterson here. Just want to take a couple of seconds and introduce to you Sam Alberry. Sam's going to be with us this morning preaching from the Word of God. He is a pastor, a theologian, an apologist, a speaker, and a writer. He's written the book, Is God Anti-Gay? He's written the book, Seven Myths of Singleness, and many others. He is a trusted friend of our church with a very generous and gracious heart and a compelling story. So would you welcome to the Village Church, Sam Alberry. Well, thank you. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. It's a a privilege to open up the scriptures uh, with you today. So we're in Luke chapter 12. I bring greetings, by the way, from your friends at Emmanuel Church in Nashville. That's my uh, base at the moment. Uh, They said to send their love to you all. So we're in Luke chapter 12, the the parable of the rich fool, uh, well known to to many of us. Um, Albert Einstein once said, only two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity, and I'm not so sure about the universe. (laughs) Um, Every person you meet is amazing. Uh, Every single person you meet is made in the image of God, and something of God's glory 
is upon them. But for all of our brilliance, we are still capable of incredible folly, incredible stupidity. We see that most often on a relatively small scale around us. Uh, We see it as we look inside our hearts. Uh, Occasionally, we see it on a much larger scale. Um, You may have heard of the Darwin Awards. They have awards for everything, so now they have awards for this as well. Um, Again, it's given to people for extraordinary folly. In fact, to qualify for a Darwin Award, you have to have uh, be able to be awarded it posthumously. And there's all sorts of hapless recipients um, who've been awarded one over the years. But part of our, our human folly is that we don't always perceive it. There are forms of stupidity we don't even recognize. And there are some forms of folly that are even more serious than the kind that could land you winning a Darwin Award, which is why we need to come to to God's Word. It's why we need Scripture, because the Bible's approach to this kind of issue is very different to ours. We tend to think that folly is ultimately the absence of intelligence. But in the Bible, folly is the absence of wisdom. And wisdom and intelligence are not the same thing. Um, It is possible to be... Someone who's not massively intelligent and yet who is profoundly wise. And you can be someone who is hugely intelligent and yet is a fool. It just means you've got a bigger brain to be stupid with. (laughs) And the reason those two things are different is that wisdom has to do with God. So Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10 famously says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is grounded in, wisdom is founded in an awareness of who God is. Um, Psalm 14, verse 1 says, by contrast, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. So Psalm 14 is not saying that our atheist friends are stupid, as in being unintelligent. It is saying our atheist friends are being unwise because... The essence of folly is not to orient your life around the reality of who God is. That is the key to wisdom. Giving God the place he rightfully deserves, taking into account who he is. And so folly isn't being hapless. It's being godless. That is the folly we find ourselves in danger of. And it's easy for us to think, well, yeah, I can see that for all the people who aren't at church today. But sometimes we can kid ourselves by thinking, well, I've, I've shown up to church, therefore that I am, by definition, taking account of who God is. But it's far more subtle than that. And there's no clearer example of this, this particular kind of folly than the man Jesus tells us about in this parable. He's a man that we will see, if we're honest, that we would regard as a, as a success. And yet, whom God says is a fool. And if there's such a thing as a spiritual Darwin Award, he would win it. And we're in danger of it too. So let's have a look at what, uh, what prompts this parable. Jesus didn't sort of, you know, decide just to give a parable for the sake of it. It, it comes out of what is going on around him. So Jesus, in this chapter, has been teaching on a, on a variety of things. And then someone in the crowd, verse 13 calls out and just yells out something to Jesus. That happens from time to time. Someone might ask a question, someone might have a need. Um, In this case, though, someone is making a demand. So we're told in verse 13, this, this person says to Jesus, teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, it's not an uncommon situation that there's an inheritance dispute within a family. But notice this, this person is not coming up to Jesus and saying, listen, I, I know this is off, off the point you're making, but listen, me and my brother have got this dispute and could you, could you help us? Could you, could you make sure we, we can reconcile? No, he doesn't ask anything. He demands of Jesus. He says, teacher, that's, that's, a, that's a good start. He's okay with the first word there. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, Jesus, do this for me. Well, Jesus is not indifferent to matters of justice. Jesus is not shy about talking about money. He talks about money an awful lot, especially in Luke's Gospel. I'm told that about between a quarter and a third of all the parables Jesus teaches are about wealth. So he's not embarrassed to talk about this stuff. But even so, his response to this man is verse 14. He says, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Now, it's an intriguing thing because there's a sense in which actually Jesus is judge and arbiter over us. But he's being given that role by the Father, not by this clown in the crowd. And sometimes the most loving thing Jesus can do for us is to derail what we want him to be doing. And the danger is that we can come up to Jesus and go, okay, Jesus, I can see that you are powerful. I can see that you are exceptional. Here's what I need you to do for me. And sometimes the kindness of Jesus is, is to say, actually, I'm not here to obey your commands. I'm not here to fulfill your agenda. I am not the chaplain to your desires. But here's what is really interesting. Verse 15, Jesus shows us what is really going on here. This, this guy is coming up with a, an issue of, of justice. He, he, he is saying, hey, my, my brother owes me this stuff. Tell him to give me this stuff. Jesus in verse 15 shows us justice is not the issue. Greed is. So Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, you're not really after justice. You're after money. It's interesting, I hadn't thought about this before this week, but it, it's striking, isn't it, that even, even a concern, let's give the guy the benefit of the doubt, let's assume he's right and his brother is withholding what is, is rightfully his, even a concern for legitimate justice can just be a mask for greed. Now, it's easy for us as we listen to Jesus there in verse 15 to say, yeah, Jesus, you sort him out. What a fool. But notice what is going on because in verse 15, Jesus isn't talking to the man anymore. Uh, Luke says to us at the beginning of verse 15, and Jesus said to them, so Jesus is no longer talking to the guy. He's talking to everybody else because this is a warning for us. What this man is, is doing in his heart is something all of us are in danger of. So Jesus is directing verse 15 to us. 
And he says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. Here's something else I hadn't really thought about before this week. I assumed, because we, we know there's a commandment, do not covet. I assume that's a kind of, it's a binary thing. You're either coveting or you're not coveting, so don't covet. Jesus is showing us there is a whole spread of covetousness. There are many species of covetousness. So he doesn't just say, be on your guard against coveting. He says, be on your guard against all covetousness. The implication being, the kind of coveting you think you're doing well to avoid is but one kind. And if we're tempted to think, well, I'm, I'm not a very coveting person, what that most likely means is, well, you're doing okay with whichever kind of coveting you're aware of, but there's this whole other range of ways you can be coveting and not even know that you are. This man may not have known he was being greedy. So Jesus says, take care. Be on your guard. He's warning us and, and we would be fools if we didn't think we needed warning this morning. Didn't mean that's a rhyme. There we go. Uh, this is this is strong language Jesus is using. So just just imagine this scenario: someone from your your local neighbourhood, maybe you've got a, a kind of local neighbourhood committee or or something, and someone comes up to you from your neighbourhood and says, "Listen, we're just we're wanting everyone in this area to know there has been a spate of of, of robberies. Uh, so we're just wanting all the residents to be aware. There's there's clearly burglars around in this neighbourhood at the moment." Now, if someone gives you that warning and saying, listen, take care, be aware, there are, there are burglars active in this neighbourhood right now, you would go home and do something about it. You would be checking your locks, you'd be looking at your security, you'd be making every effort to, to sort of respond to that. Um, a few years ago, I lived in a, a ground-level apartment, and it was, um, it was a hot summer. I'm from England, so hot summer for us is like the mid-60s. We're, we're kind of... <laughs> fainting with heat and, and passing out. Um, but it, whatever, it, was a hot, it was a hot summer. And I remember one, one night I was lying in bed and I was sleeping with my window open just to try and get some, some cooler air in. And one night as this was happening, I, I stirred in the middle of the night, sort of sat up in my bed and was looking at the window and I could just see silhouetted the outline of a man just standing outside my window looking in. Now, here's what didn't happen next. I didn't think, huh, I'll, I'll give that some thought in the morning and go back to sleep for a bit. <laughs> no, I, was, I was awake, okay, at that moment. I was upright. I was closing the, the, the window. I was locking it with anything I could possibly use to lock it with. I was closing the... The curtains and I was going around every single window of the house making sure they were closed, locked and everything. I was kind of in fortress mode. When Jesus says, take care and be on your guard, he's not saying, yeah, at, at some point, if there's, if there's a rainy day and you've got nothing else to do, maybe have, a, maybe have a little bit of a think about why you shouldn't cover it. No, Jesus is saying, this is, this is an issue right now in the neighbourhood of your heart, Today, covetousness is on the move. 
So take care, be aware. And the reason why is because of what he says in the second part of verse 15. Because one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. We covet precisely because we have been duped into thinking stuff is what we need to truly live. Elsewhere, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth. And the deceitfulness of wealth is that it it tricks us into thinking it is the most significant thing about us. That that is the primary metric for how you determine how well your life is going. We're not defined by what we own. And hearing this, I'm sure all of us are thinking, yeah, yeah, we know that. We say that. We say things like that, don't we? We say there's more to life than, than stuff. There's more to life than money. If we hear some, some story of some crazy rich person who is living in a vast mansion entirely on their own, they've, they've managed to isolate themselves with their, with their wealth, we, we look at them and we feel pity and we think, yeah, it's just not worth it. There's more to life than money. That's what we say. And we kind of mean it. I mean, we, we, th- we really do think that. But a deeper level in our heart, we're, we're actually not quite so sure. Because this way of thinking will always be seeping back into our heart. We're always being told by our culture, by every advert that you see, that this will make your life better. And so we say, well, life isn't about what you have, but sometimes it's what we default into in the very way that we live. So I know in theory this isn't what my life's about, but actually, it feels good to go on Amazon. <laughs> it feels good to buy things. There's a sense of, yeah, this is, I'm happier now. My life is more full now. So we need to hear this parable. This is what prompts Jesus to teach this parable. So verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. So here's the the scenario, it's a short story. This, it's about a man who's successful. He's a farmer of some kind, that the land he has evidently is is incredibly fruitful. It's, It's producing abundantly. And we're not told that he's, he's gained his wealth in any kind of nefarious way. He's not, you know, he's not cheated his way into success. He's a guy who's, who's farming and he's doing it. He's, he's successful. Okay? Nothing wrong with what Jesus says in verse 16. Okay, it's good for land to be productive. We need productive farms. He's, he's wealthy. The Bible doesn't say wealth itself is sinful. So, so far, there's nothing about this man that, that should make us kind of think, okay, he's, he's a, where I come from, we would say, he's a dodgy character. Okay, to our knowledge, he's an honourable man and he's done well for himself. The issue we're warned about isn't how much stuff you have. The issue we're warned about is how much does your stuff have of you? 
It's not wealth that's a problem, it's covetousness. You can be covetous with very little. A friend of mine told me a, a proverb he grew up hearing. He grew up in Indonesia. I don't know if this proverb is from Indonesia, but, and I don't know where it came from, but I've, I've always remembered it. He, he said, even the smallest penny can block out the light of the sun if you hold it close enough to your eye. Okay, you don't need much to completely lose your perspective. So this is not a problem just for rich people. This is a problem for all of us. You don't have to be wealthy to be covetous. Well, verse 17, this is the situation of the man. He finds himself with a problem I'm sure most of us wouldn't mind having. And so he thinks to himself, verse 17, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And we're thinking... Of all the problems to, to, to be wrestling with right now, that would be one I could handle, okay? I've, I've got too much stuff, I don't know where to put it all. I, I'm doing too well. I've got too much coming in. I've got too much money. I've got too many things. I, I, I'm running out of room for everything that, that I'm, I'm accumulating. It is, you know, as we say, it's a first world problem. And so he does what, what comes naturally. Verse 18, he calls in uh, the builders. They come in and they tear down what he's got and make it all bigger. Okay, bigger barn. You can house all of your grain. You can store all the stuff that you've got. And so he's thinking, okay, so if I do that, he then, he then thinks ahead to what that will then mean for him. So if he does that, he builds a bigger barn, has enough space for everything, then, verse 19, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So he's imagining what it will be like when this, when this construction phase is over. And he's picturing himself sitting there. As the, the paint is drying, the final touches are being made. He's sitting there and he's, he's looking at the end result and thinking, nice one. We've done it. We've made it. Ample goods. Many years. We're, we're sorted. And we can kind of picture him in our mind's eye. You know, he's, he's sat there, he's got his feet up, the, the sun is glistening off the pool. And he's looking out and he can see to the far horizon land that he owns. He's got a fleet of, of beautiful cars. There's a boat moored somewhere uh, nearby for him to enjoy. And he's sat there and he's raising a glass to himself and he's going, I've done it. And as he, as he sits there with his glass raised, he's, he's toasting his health, which is ironic given what is about to happen. But just picture him there. In that moment of, of celebration, what do you make of him? Now, our, our problem is we, we know this is the parable of the rich fool. They've gone and put that right in the, you know, in the Bible just in front of us. So we're, we're pre-programmed to disapprove of this man. So as we read this, we're going, and, and we're disapproving. <laughs> I think if we're honest... Hey, you're allowed to be honest in church. If we're honest, 
We want to be him, don't we? Don't we envy him? Don't you wish you had enough stuff for the rest of your life? A friend of mine said to me recently, he said, yeah, I've, got a, I've worked out I've got enough money for the rest of my life, assuming I die next Tuesday. <laughs> but this is, this is what we want. We're thinking, yeah, to have, to have that security, to have everything we need for, for however long we've got left. I say this as a... As a friend to your country, but isn't that the American dream? And to be fair, it's not uniquely your dream. <laughs> this, is, this is what most people want. They want enough of whatever it is they think they need for life to be able to actually kick their shoes off and think, Do you know what, I'm okay now. It's going to be okay. We're, we're, we're sorted. We're fine. Which is, these parables mess with us, don't they? Um, I heard somebody say a while ago, oh yeah, Jesus' parables, they're a bit like Aesop's fables. You know, it's a little twee story and there's a little moral message at the end of it. And I'm thinking, no one crucified Aesop. <laughs> these parables mess with us. Because this man who we esteem, and this is, this is those of you who are parents, don't you want your kids to do what this man has done? To be productive, to plan ahead and to think, I'm going to need this amount for all my... This is what we want in life. And yet God says to him, you fool, you profound fool. Does that surprise you? This man hasn't been dishonorable as far as we know. He's worked hard, he's been prudent, he's planned. How can we and God think so differently? And the question is, <laughs> which of us is most likely to have got this wrong? So let, let Jesus help us understand what this precious man has got so profoundly wrong. Because we're getting the very same thing wrong ourselves. So two things. He was wrong about life and he was wrong about God. So firstly, he's wrong about life. Completely wrong about life. Uh, we see that on what he says in verse 19. There's a few things going on there that show us how his view of life is completely distorted. Verse 19, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. What's he got wrong there? He's assuming his life's about him. He assumes that the whole point of life is to get to the stage where you can say to yourself, we're okay now. We're sorted. Um, in those three verses, 17, 18, and 19, he uses the language of I, me, my 12 times. And again, that is what covetousness does to us. Whatever it is you are looking for in life, it might not be bigger barns and wealth. It might be family. Might be friendship, might be relationship, might be status, might be power, might be recognition. Whatever it is that we are greedy for will train us to think that we are actually the centre of our reality. And so the, the issue then becomes for us, have I got enough? Am I okay yet? And that can fill our horizon. 
He's wrong as well because he thinks he has many years. We don't know how long we have. We know which day we were born. We don't know which day we will die on. God does. We can't presume it's going to be in many years' time. We just don't know. So if there's anyone in the room this morning who was thinking, I, I know I have things to sort out with God, but I'm going to wait... Don't presume you will have the capacity to wait. You don't know. But here's the real thing he's got wrong. Look at what he is saying. He is speaking to his soul. And he is saying to his soul, you've got ample goods now. He thinks this is what his soul most needs. And so his logic is, soul, you have ample goods plus many years, therefore, relax. You can exhale now. Eat. Drink. Be merry. His faulty thinking is ample goods plus many years equals full life. My friends, each of you precious people has a soul. Your soul needs so much more than stuff. This man's problem isn't that he's wanting too much. This man's problem is he's wanting far too little. Because however much stuff you might get in your life, and again, this could be money, it could be sex, it could be status, it could be anything, however much of it you get will not bear the weight of your soul. It's not going to be enough to carry you. It won't be enough. It can't be enough. This man was a success in life, but he was a failure at life. And the reason is, he was wrong about life because he was wrong about God. He thinks his life is his. He thinks his stuff is his. But verse 20, God says to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So here's the, here's the news for us. Your soul belongs to God. And one day he will require it of you. Uh, several years ago, a friend of mine decided to do some further study, went to university, and she said, listen, I'm going to be in, in university accommodation. 
She was giving out various of her things and, and asking different friends to look after some of her stuff while she was going to be at university. And she gave to me a really nice keyboard. I played the piano as a kid. I was eager to, to restart, so I, I received her keyboard and was, was thrilled. I, I got used to having it. I loved having it in, in my home. And she was doing this course for several years. Um, I got used to having this thing. It became literally part of the furniture. So when a few years later she phones up and says, oh, hey, Sam, listen, uh, I'm going to need to come around and grab that keyboard off you. I felt offended. <laughs> it was always on loan, but it just didn't feel that way. It felt like it was mine. And at some point the Lord is going to say to each of us, okay, your soul is required of you now. Friend, your life isn't yours. This dear man in the parable, his land wasn't his land. It was God's. The capacity the land had to produce itself came from God. The capacity of plants to grow comes from God. Wealth comes from God. And so God deserved this man's highest affections. He deserved this man's deepest thanks. He deserved this man's highest allegiance. But he lived his life without reference to God and therefore God's verdict is full. Look again at verse 19. He should have been speaking to God. He should have been saying to God, I have ample goods. I, I might have many years. Lord, what would you have me do? This stuff you've entrusted to me is yours. How can I use it? Who can I bless? Who can I serve? What can I do? Amen. So Jesus says to us in verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That divine verdict of fool hangs like a banner over the life of anyone, Jesus says, who is not rich towards God. Now, let's not misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying, hey, add a bit of religious activity to your wealth and we're good. No, Jesus is saying to be truly rich is to be rich towards God. Because true wealth isn't what we have. True wealth is what we are to God. It's not about what we can get for us. It's about what we can offer to him. And to be rich to the Lord is, is to say to the Lord, 
I want you to have everything. I want you to have all that I am and all that I have. You can face poverty and be rich towards God. There's an example of this later on in Luke's Gospel. We, in Luke 21, we find ourselves in a temple and, and people are, are giving to the temple and we see a widow drop in two tiny coins. Everyone around her is, is writing sizable checks and I'm sure getting wings of the temple named after them and all that kind of stuff. She just drops in two almost insignificant coins and Jesus says of her, she's given more than anyone else because she gave all that she had to live on. She was rich towards God. It's not what we have that is the issue, it's what we do with what we have and how much what we have has us. So how do we get to be rich towards God? Again, let's not misunderstand. I'm not telling you to go home today and try harder at being rich to God. That is not what Jesus is saying. The key for all of us is to see how Jesus has been rich to us. Because even further on in Luke, Jesus is going to hang on a cross for us. All that Jesus rightfully had, all that Jesus was, was rightfully entitled to, Jesus gave up for us. He owed us nothing and yet he gave us everything. I hadn't thought of this just before right now, but in verse 13, that guy who says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, that is what Jesus just did with us. He's sharing his inheritance with us. He is being rich towards us. And the Apostle Paul can say in 2 Corinthians of Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus has been rich to us. He has given us his very life. And as we receive from him, we're spiritually rich. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Jesus. And as we see his richness towards us, as we take communion in a few moments and we, we think of a body broken and of blood shed, as we see the richness of Jesus towards us, it cracks open our hearts and he becomes our treasure. And we then sit loosely to everything else this world has to offer. And what matters most to us is no longer how much can I have for my soul because our soul is already full with Jesus. And everything else we have, we're free to offer back to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would help us to take care and to be on our guard against all covetousness. We pray that you'd help us not to be rich towards ourselves, but rich 
towards you because Christ has already been so rich to us in his death and resurrection. We have all that our soul needs, not just for many years, but for all eternity. So may that transform how we think of everything else that this world has to offer. Would Jesus be our treasure? For we pray in his name. Amen.